So welcome to all the listeners of our INSEAD Climate Action Podcast. Um, I'm Arthur, one of your hosts from the 20D class, and I have the pleasure to be here with Carrie Chen. Carrie Chen is one of, is one of our alumni from the 2008 cohort, 2008D or 2008J? Uh, D, yes. D. So uh, I think uh, we were talking, chatting a little bit before about how we both are going through not exactly what we thought our year is going to be in the NBA. And, uh, and thank you so much, Carrie, for being here. Uh, and if you can introduce yourself a little bit and talk a little bit about Avant Meets uh, and what you guys stand for and what the company is focused on. Yeah, thank you very much, Arthur, indeed, for the invitation. I'm really excited to be really speaking to um, a fellow in Seattle about uh, what we've been doing. And so, uh, Avant Meet, we started in 2018. Uh, we work on the cultivated meat uh, technology. So, the other term for it is lab grown meat. Basically, we do not need to have the animal in the process of producing the meat or protein that we want. Um, the technology rely on uh, the stem cell technology and tissue engineering technology. And we can basically produce a lot more amount of the meat uh, without uh, going back uh, to killing and raising uh, the animals. So in a way that it uh, provide a more efficient conversion of natural resources to the meat we want. And for the audience um, uh, uh, benefits, maybe some of them, uh, some of us know already, but maybe not all of us, the existing way of converting uh, natural uh, resources in the way of what we feed to the animal, to the end product that we want from the animal, like slaughtering the animal and getting the meat, the conversion rate is very low. Uh, in the case of beef, it could be as low as 9%, 10%, meaning that if we feed 100 units of the energy, be it calories or protein, to the animal, and then if we calculate the actual amount of meat we harvest from the animal body at the end of the whole process, it could be as low as 9 nine unit or 10 unit. And uh, for pork and chicken, it could be slightly better, but um, uh, fish, uh, it, it does not go beyond like 15%. And what happened in the process is that um, the animal do not uh, actually be created to become our meat. To a certain extent, they do spend a lot of the energy that they uh, take from the animal feed using in other way, like running around, keeping themselves warm or growing horns and furs and everything that we turn out not really eating at the end. So then the question is that, so if this uh, method is so inefficient and we have been using this since the prehistoric time, so the technology on the other hand, like stem cell technology and tissue engineering technology have, has been advanced to a stage that whereby uh, we can actually use that to produce a lot of the, the cells that we find that the cells from the animal uh, can grow outside of the animal body. So that's the idea of using this uh, into producing uh, the meat or the protein that we want. So this is actually what we do. We are based in uh, Hong Kong Science Park. We're actually the first one in the China, uh, Hong Kong, uh, the third one in Asia, um, and so that is where we started uh, in 2000 and uh, end of 2018. Perfect. And, and I'm just curious, uh, why this issue? What made you create co-found Avant Meats? Uh, how how did the, the idea came up? Yeah. Um, so I didn't know this. I had been uh, I have been plant based for five years approximately. Mm -hmm. I, I I actually stumbled across plant based diet, and I thought that okay, this is actually 
I, I don't really need any more on my plate. And, and as I read more about it, I find that it is not very sustainable because we do need to feed a lot of the food to the animal. One third of the crops that we produce globally, they do not actually go directly to feed people, but then they actually go to feeding animals. And mm -hmm. then on the other hand, we have a lot of people still not have the balanced diet, still um, um, hungry and hunger and everything. So it is not a very good way to distributing natural resources. Giving now on the planet is getting uh, more scarce, like uh, clean water, land, etc. And I do not see that the whole picture would add up to that we can feed 10 billion people in a couple of decades of time. Uh, I personally totally fine without uh, meat on my plate, um, but I realized that it is not uh, the case with most of the people, including my parents. I try to convert <laughs> them, sort of, but then without much success. So I realized, okay, in, in addition to providing more plant-based food like um, Beyond Burger, Impossible Burger, definitely very good and tasty product. I do eat them quite, uh, quite often. And, um, but on the other hand, I do re realize that people with the food culture, um, you know, the society do want to still have meat on the plate. So when I come across, came across this idea that, okay, we find the technology we can produce meat without people need to really convert to totally plant-based, I thought this is really good idea. So then I, at that point of time, um, there has been quite a bit of uh, different startup already in the States, uh, Europe and Israel, but not really that much happenings in Asia, China. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, maybe I, I should give it a try. So then I, I quit my job. Um, I was in a property developer uh, before that. And then I quit my job and then I just started my journey into this uh, entrepreneurship. Yeah, and, and even before I, I dive a little bit uh, deeper into Avant Meat and uh, I'm so curious about it, I just want you to, to hear a bit, a bit about your story before and after INSEAD. So I know you were an architect uh, before joining INSEAD and right after, were you always thinking about a career in sustainability? Uh, mm. How was your journey to get to this place where you are mm. today? Yeah, indeed, like looking back, uh, my, I still remember my personal statement when I applied to INSEAD. It's actually related to, more related to real estate. I uh, saw so my idea was uh, like urban regeneration, how to uh, improve an old uh, district or deliberated district of uh, any city, improve that so that we can provide people with a more livable environment. And in a way that Hong Kong, where I come from, uh, for the I think in the nine, 1970s and 80s, uh, the reputation of architecture is not particularly good in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. Is because a lot of the developer only focus on maximizing the development potential of each piece of land, which means that we just build piles of concrete. And then as long as we maximize whatever we pay the land value to the government, and I rip the profit from the uh, individual residential flat uh, buyers, I'm actually very happy. So I don't really, I didn't uh, pay attention, uh, sitting in a position of the developer at that time, uh, I didn't really spend that much of uh, like efforts and mind into building a very livable environment like green space and everything. So, uh, so it was where I actually, my background is where I came from. I grew up in one of these uh, piles of concrete buildings and actually mm -hmm. quite boring. I just looked outside the mm -hmm. window and it is just my neighbors. And so um, Singapore is actually much better, but if, uh, if, uh, like for the class, uh, 
to venture to Hong Kong, like some older part, they will understand where I coming from. And so my back in the days uh, before INSEAD, my idea is that actually how to uh, like uh, rejuvenate some of this older uh, urban fabric and open area and make it into more livable, uh, inducing more like green space. And actually my motivation to uh, study um, uh, at INSEAD MBA is that I realized as an architect, I didn't know the language being spoken in the commercial world, meaning mm -hmm. how they make a decision on the investment on how I, well, what would they forego the profit of maximizing all of the space into building a buildings while they decided to create a park, for example, or uh, some like amenities like museum or those kind of space. And I didn't know how to do that. And I thought that if I learn more about the language, namely the accounting, finance, and I can be on the side and speaking the language and say that, hey, uh, do not look at the like short-term profit. Maybe in the long term, you build a better brand, you build a better living environment. And I want to justify on the other side of the, of the, of the, of the, mm -hmm. of the table and tell them, okay, hey, let's do something like better for the environment. That was actually my whole motivation of going for uh, MBA back then. And so then that had been really underlying my, my, uh, my career uh, and direction into more sustainable more um, better living environment for people, but it is more like turning to sustainable in terms of food, uh, food supply chain, and it's a little bit of twist. Uh, it's actually new industry for me, but I think the underlying motivation has never changed. Perfect. And before being an entrepreneur, so you, you graduated in 2008 and you started Avant Mids in 2018. And I believe like even looking at, at your at your LinkedIn profile. I know that you've been to different sides of organizations, but mostly in big organizations. How was to work with this mindset of something more sustainable, something greener, something that, uh, that really is gonna make some impact in these big companies? Was it, was it, was it a, a, an uphill battle or do you see that big companies were more accommodating towards the change? How was your journey before Avant Meets? Yeah, I, I think you raise a very good point is that uh, it really depends, to a certain extent, it really depends on the organization. So where I have been spending most of my career uh, in Hong Kong, there are definitely a lot of multinational companies mm -hmm. who has uh, more like clear uh, like uh, policy with respect to ESG, uh, CSR, and et cetera. Uh, and there are also some other small to medium-sized uh, local uh, enterprises uh, which is not really having that uh, double bottom line very clearly spelled out. So we will just uh, try to do our best in our own, in our role, uh, uh, not so systematically. Uh, systematically, I mean that in a big corporation, if we are in a position to build in some policy uh, into, into the different KPI of different roles, I think that will be definitely very helpful. Um, I share one example what I understand from it. I, I'm not going to name that company. They're actually, I explore the CSR or that aspects by speaking to a couple of people and actually a couple of them are actually from the INSEAD. So I try to understand, so how is the different corporation drive uh, the ESG or the, uh, not just talking about the monetary return and how do they take care of those. And so actually, I find that there are actually two approaches. One is that they do have a separate department cost sustainability mm -hmm. department and I actually know someone who is a head of sustainability department and then she later on told me that okay that department find it very difficult to push other peers who are not uh, driven by that uh, KPI mm -hmm. 
So this is more like a third party asking you, hey, uh, if you are in the sales department, marketing department or procurement department, you need to pay attention to this, this and that. For example, you do not buy from any uh, suppliers who do not uh, comply with a certain sustainability measures or do not hire, uh, like do not hire like child labor or something like that. So, but then um, that third party almost always stay like a third party because the person who is actually doing the job, they do not mm -hmm. listen um, yeah. to them. Because and then they will, yes. they just do something that as much as they can really uh, answer whatever they ask it to produce like reports and something like that. Well, as uh, so, so there's one type of company. There are also other type of company who actually don't have a separate department. And then, but then they will have a, uh, they, they build in some CSL um, inside the different roles or different KPIs that have different things that build into it. That might be a little bit helpful, but I find that it really depends on the depth of those uh, initiatives. So some of them that we hear quite often is that, okay, for every um, uh, dollar that we earn from, for example, from this business unit, we will, play, we will plant one tree or something like uh, uh, half a tree or like something like that. So it's a little bit superficial, honestly, and it's more like uh, doing something like look good on the outside, but not really get into the depth. So my point is that, so for INSEAD, I think everyone uh, graduating from the program will become a very important decision maker and different corporation, big or small. And I think we, we, we want to learn from that is that how to build into the structure and into the different roles and that is actually driving it genuinely and actually with uh, actual thing that more tangible, tangible thing than just planting trees or mm. having a uh, sustainability department, that's not going to help because at the end of the day, that friend told me uh, that department basically uh, decided to dissolve and it go back to another matrix of the, to driving those initiatives. So this is what I kind of learned from speaking to a few people out there no, that, that's a great insight, I think especially for our listeners and also many peers thinking about what kind of company really, really cares about it. And a lot of times it's between the lines and talking to people who are already there to understand if it is really an add-on or it's really a part of the business and how they think and how the leadership is thinking. So thank you so much for, for that insight as well. And now if, if it's okay for you, I would like to deep dive a little bit more towards Avant Meets. I think it's going to be okay. a very yeah. exciting journey as an entrepreneur. So I, I just want you to know uh, how, how has it been so far? Like, because you were talking about how much waste there is, right? In the meat processing industry. So what is different about Avant Meats? Is it the technology? Is it the process? Is it the sourcing? Can you mm. tell us a little bit more regarding what are the mm. differentiators compared mm. to the competitors? Yeah, sure. So then the intrinsically, the scientific pr principle that just what I've mentioned is basically removing animal as the agent in the middle of conversion of natural resources into eat, uh, meat and protein. So mm -hmm. by removing this animal as a middleman, we can actually directly feed all of the nutrient, which is no different from what human beings need to stay alive, namely glucose, amino acid, vitamins, um, uh, 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 what is the other... Uh, 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 vitamins, etc. And then we just feed these food in soluble form, of course, directly to the cells. And given the cells in the right temperature and the light, right living environment, and they, they, they will continue to grow. It is no different from making yogurt, which is basically yeast. They work on, they feed on some of the 
uh, lactose, sugar, and those kind of things, and then they will turn something into something that we find delicious. Or beer, even like it is similar activity and similar bioprocesses. So this is basically no different. And so what our technology focus on is really driving the cost down because originally the stem cell technology, tissue engineering, uh, very high um, specification, pharmaceutical uh, and medical application. So the machines, the materials and everything is super expensive. So in order to uh, be able to produce something that is making sense economically for people to buy as a food, we need to drastically reduce the cost by, um, by like over a few hundreds, if not a thousand um, fold from what is originally mm -hmm. at, uh, at the pharmaceutical grade without any uh, reduction. And then the other is to scale up. So a lot of this uh, technology has been used on, for example, cell therapy. So they also produce a lot of cell, taking the cell from patients and mm -hmm. then um, develop that and proliferate them outside of the, uh, the, per the patient's body in a clean way so that eventually that could be put back to the patient's body for doing whatever the medicinal kind of effect on that. So, but then they're doing so without a high price sensitivity they do so also very small volume. So the other uh, technology that we're developing is actually scale up the whole process. How can we do that at a lower price and also at the larger scale in a way that we can produce enough to make food? So these are the two core technology and then we are developing proprietary solution uh, also obtaining like patent for them. And of course, the last but not least is actually the taste, the taste and the texture. So when we grow the cell outside of the animal bodies, um, they do not have the structure as if they were inside any body like the muscles. So mm -hmm. we need to provide them at the beginning of the whole process, let them grow three dimensionally. And then so that uh, at the beginning, it will be part of the, part of the process of uh, growing the piece of meat. So in a way that, that, that that's what we call tissue engineering, the scaffolding uh, formula, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. So that is also the third part of what we are uh, developing uh, in terms of the technology. And last but not least is getting the cell lines. It's a little bit like the probiotics. We get the right um, uh, healthy population of the cell that we can they can continually to self-replicate uh, over a long period of time uh, without dying and in a healthy way. And so these are the four core technology we are developing. Oh, it's quite R&D intensive, I, I would bet. Yeah, indeed, it's very much. Wow, wow. And you're already selling to final users? Like you're, you're already selling to customers? Is it like B2C, you sell to restaurants? Or do you sell directly, can I find in a shop in Hong Kong? Right, right. Um, so for, for us, uh, because we are still at the R&D, we're driving the cost down. So because even we have done a, a prototype already mm. uh, in uh, end of last year. So we presented our first pilot product in a uh, food event and then we uh, produce a very small portion because to begin with it's actually very expensive and then um, we haven't got that to the production scale yet. So we have done that um, and so we are doing another prototype uh, in November this year and in terms of the product uh, it will be we'll be launching a, uh, a small soft launch of the product uh, a brand that we are developing uh, towards the end of this year and for the commercial scale it would be uh, uh, based on our estimation, it will be around 2022 or 2023. Mm -hmm. Perfect. It sounds so exciting. And, and in terms of products, you're focusing on uh, white fish at first. Like it's a variety of fish. Are we talking about like salmon, tuna, t 
tilapia right. or is like it's one MVP that you're just like, for example, Impossible Meats and they, they I think they start off with the burger and they are going to check right. it maybe. Is it the same strategy here that we're talking about or already? Yeah. So the, the strategy we focus on that we find that we look at a lot of our peers in the Western um, like countries, uh, mm -hmm. they usually start with beef because beef has a higher selling price on the convention version uh, compared with pork and chicken. So beef is generally more expensive. So one of the hurdles for us is really get to the price parity. So imagine that we need to get the price of production from a couple of thousand US dollar down to under 20, if not 10 US dollar per kg. That's really uh, like a thousand fold, right? So the more expensive the, the item that we compare with, the easier that we can reach power, price parity. So that is one concept. And then we find that in Asia, when we look at how we apply this, uh, uh, try to approach this market, we find that in Asia, there's a lot of interesting things that is not available in the market in terms of product opportunity. For example, the first product we're going to work on is actually fish maw. It's a swim mm -hmm. bladder of a fish. And for people in uh, southern part of Asia, Southeast Asia, they may know, and this kind of food ingredient uh, is do not con we do not consume that in a huge portion. So we usually consume that is in a small bowl of soup, and they're actually very expensive. It could be over a thousand US dollar per kg uh -huh. in the traditional form, and then there's a very long preparation time. So that's uh, become our first um, pilot product target because then we can reach price parity earlier than later. And then we can go to uh, revenue earlier because we do care a lot about the unit economy. Because if we sell and we do not make a margin on the unit, uh, it does not make a lot of sense for us because it's already quite um, heavy in capex. And so we want to make sure that we can reach that revenue and that is meaningful for us. Um, if not profits at the first couple of years, at least we do not lose money every kg of meat that we sell. So mm -hmm. that is our strategy. So that's why we choose fish more as the first product. And then we work on fish meat. Uh, for fish meat, what you mentioned is actually um, yeah, very relevant. Is that in Asia, a lot of the dish when we come to fish meat, uh, although we eat a lot of like sashimi and salmon and tuna here, but in more Asian dishes, we usually find more like white flesh kind of fish. So we are also developing more like those products at the beginning, like grouper meat. Uh, I don't know whether grouper is something that's ring a bell uh, with you. It's the kind of uh, fish living near the shore and then they have a very like firm flesh. And mm -hmm. it's actually very popular in, South, in Hong Kong or this region. So we will be working on those meats to begin with, making into filet or uh, like, um, like in the fish olay, like the, the burger. Uh, we can make something in the middle uh, so that we are focusing on those products uh, more on the B2B approach, supplying our meat uh, to the food product company to begin with. Uh, we, at the moment, we do not have a very uh, obvious plan to go to B2C directly. Okay. We'd rather work with a uh, corporation. Okay, perfect. In terms of geography, you're thinking about uh, Hong Kong specifically at first, uh, more countries in Asia, other regions uh, in terms of when can I maybe expect to see that of this delicious <laughs> meat in Europe or Brazil, for example? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. One thing that um, may not we haven't touched a pound is that for this new way of making meat, uh, we 
we, we do need a new regulation. So it is not that because it is so, un, un, it's so unfamiliar. It's the same as uh, traditionally, if we have to sell a fish, when we import fish, uh, from overseas, we do want to check, okay, where the fishes come from. Uh, mm -hmm. Is it DNA? Is it GM? Um, does it grow in a clean environment? So on and so forth. And also when the product arrives, we, we try to find out whether there's a pathogen or microbe living on that. How is the cold chain logistic? Does it fulfill the standard? So similarly for using this new technology, they also want to find out, okay, what is the cell coming from? Do they come from a genetically modified cell lines or have they been developed over a few generations? Have we observed the pattern of it, et cetera? So, um, so uh, that requires a new set of regulatory uh, framework. Framework means that we need to submit a lot of the report and data test report to the government in order to say, they say hey, um, that's the same as they vet the fish supply, right? So they check the species, et cetera. We do the same thing, but, we, but then we do the same thing on the cells. So uh, we are waiting, um, sort of the industry sort of um, panning for different jurisdictions, including US, Singapore, maybe also Japan and China, developing the regulatory framework so that we can we can submit whatever report that they require before we get the pre-market approval. So uh, based on that, um, we are actually think we are following very closely the US uh, uh, regulation as well as Singapore regulation because these two uh, countries, they have been um, working quite a bit on this uh, area already. So maybe they're the first two countries uh, with the regulation in place. So we might go to these two countries to get the approval first and then maybe launch in the uh, corresponding market or relevant market first uh, before we uh, broaden out to other uh, geographical locations. Perfect. Well, uh, my next question will be regarding uh, some of the main challenges you're, you're facing currently as, as, as Avant Meats. I, I know that I, you, you spoke about some, but if I get right, there's regarding regulation for sure, the cost coming down the cost. Anything mm. else uh, that you see as main challenge or opportunity uh, in, mm. in the next years that maybe our listeners can help chip in with their expertise yeah. or even like talent you're looking for? Yeah, so you mentioned two keywords very, very good. One is the challenge and the other is opportunity. So whenever the challenge is always opportunity. So the challenge for us uh, at the beginning is that because heaven, people have not encountered this product yet. So people have been building a lot of mental pictures and image about, oh, how this is coming from? Is it coming from the lab? Is it Frankenstein? Is it something unnatural? So, um, so that's why I, I throw the example of that. Hey, look at yogurt and beer. We have been actually growing this product in a fermenter, a barrel reactor, basically a metallic container, controlling the temperature and feeding the, the nutrient in it. And then after like a, a, a few weeks or months, voila, you get the beer or you, or you get the, the yogurt. So it's no different. So um, however, when it comes to meat, of course, this we understand is totally new picture in the mind. People haven't mm -hmm. formed the visual picture yet. So it, it, we need to actually uh, get people familiar with that. And we, we understand the market, we need to warm up um, maybe a year or so. And when people get more familiar with that, and it will be uh, definitely a lot of benefit because when we come to fish, there's no heavy metal in the fish meat that we produce mm -hmm. and no antibiotics. In our case, we also know GM and no microplastic, which is actually a huge problem with the fish caught mm -hmm. from the ocean. And so there's definitely a lot of health benefits from that. And 
The only thing is how people can relate and get familiar with that. So I think this is one of the challenge. But mm -hmm. I also see that the uh, the opportunity coming from that is that um, in the traditional fish, when we have a whole piece of fish with a tail and head and everything, uh, with the bones and everything, and um, when they want to incorporate into some ready-to-cook or ready-to-consume product, it's a lot of uh, processing steps in the middle. Mm -hmm. However, in our case, because we start with the monster meat or the meat without the bones, we do not grow the bones. <laughs> we do not grow the tail and head because we don't need them. So we actually much easier position as an ingredient to be incorporated in food that we can actually streamline a lot of this, for example, fish cake. Or for example, that like product we want to uh, give it to our children because we we're sure that there's no bones, like fish bones, tiny fish bone in the product. So this is actually very good. And also in terms of the um, nutritional profile, using this approach, you can actually quite more. I would not very very precisely, but relatively more precisely, we can adjust the nutritional profile. Why I say that is that if we want more lean meat, we can have more muscles. If we want more fat, uh, fatty acid, we can actually have more fat cell in the product. If we want more collagen, we can actually have a certain type of cell that produce more of that collagen. So mm -hmm. in a way that we can actually improve the nutritional profile in a way that we prefer in our um, light product. So I think there is also a lot of opportunity using this technology to produce uh, meat as ingredient to be combined with other food that traditional fish meat find it very difficult or maybe from some cumbersome to incorporate. So I see that there, exactly there are opportunity and also challenges. Yeah, you got me at no bones. I think my biggest problem <laughs> eating fish, especially when I was little, is that I would swallow so many bones that even like I was uh, to eat fish for one right. or two Ah, uh, I see. That's great. <laughs> yes, yeah, but, but it's true because this is an added value that we don't normally associate with with uh, red meat or chicken and that for sure is a big plus from oh uh, yes for, for your yeah that yes for uh, fish exactly yes exactly. and carrie <laughs> uh, just, just just one last question uh before we finish it up uh, if you have any looking back now for from your INSEAD journey this 12 years after INSEAD and now your entrepreneurship journey any tips any advices that you would give for our listeners that are thinking about putting sustainability as a big priority in their careers. Uh, any top two, top three advices that you received so far that you really mm. would like to pass on? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think uh, for the audience who really care about sustainability, uh, what I understand from the, uh, from the market or financial perspective, they're actually a spectrum. So one is really towards the, uh, like, uh, so in the middle is really impact investment Mm -hmm. And which means that I invest in some uh, enterprises. I can start a social enterprises that really uh, provide fresh water to the uh, developing worlds or country or education or energy, whatever. Uh, however, uh, to a lot of them, what I understand from people who are very experienced and expert uh, in those areas is that, well, people, if they do those investments, they do have an expectation that, okay, maybe the return is not as good as if I invest in something which is not as like impact or sustainable. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the very far end is there are also people like, like big corporation, they would rather say, hey, maybe I do something that I don't care about the sustainability. It could be dirty, it could be like not that 
not that decent. And if I make the money, I just donate it. So there are also another mindset like going to philanthropy. Let's say I, I just donate part of the, there's also benefit, right? There are also like tax uh, deduction from that. Yeah. So we see a lot of them like one side I'm a devil and one side I look like an angel, but is it really the case? And of course, now there are, we're talking about the new generation is that maybe with technology, I think that is a lot of them actually quite enhanced or enabled by technology uh, in what we are doing, or maybe in other, in other few, in other industry, maybe medical and other few as well. Uh, technology actually may help us to be having something that we can have a com combination of both worlds. Like mm -hmm. I can offer a solution that is, sustainable um, and then I can also be because of the market that I serve or the need that I serve that I can also be having a very uh, sizable market access um, and also have a decent return. So I think um, one concept that is actually given from our advisor is that uh, when we talk about sustainability, a lot of the time it is more about echo. Echo means that doing good, altruism, etc. However, for people, for things that really get the traction, even if, let's say I'm, I'm talking an example of buying a cup of coffee. So a cup of coffee that is labeled fair trade, a cup mm -hmm. of coffee labeled organic. So guess people will be more willing to spend money on organic coffee because I know that, I know that okay, there's no pesticide in it. It probably better for my health. For fair trade, I know they benefit some people. It's uh, more justifiable, like ethical product, but well, if I, if there are two things that are not combined, maybe I will, people are more self-serving, which is intrinsic. It is, it is uh, people will watch out for their own um, like benefit. We call that ego, like E-G-O. And people generally, I'm not talking about you and me who are definitely have a, a more mind time spent on those, but I'm talking about the general public. So people react to more things that benefit themselves are more self-serving. And mm -hmm. if we want to have a, like a project or a, uh, something that will have easier gaining traction and can combine both the financial return and the sustainability, think about it, something that can combine ego and e echo. Echo is the environmental. So ego is the first thing. So think about something that really helps and then try to make it also take it about the echo. Mm -hmm. Because only doing echo without serving the ego um, the market or the, the traction or the, that would not pe the people that will be really paying the premium to that. I think uh, there will be a, there'll be more in some, some uh, parts of the world like Europe, but may not be seen some other parts of the world. So it will be coming up with an idea on how to do it in a sustainable way and also financially like attractive way. Do think about to these two aspects. And if we find an idea that marry these two up in a very nice manner, I think you've got it and you probably want to go ahead and try something, uh, turning it into something real. Yeah, you made me feel like I want to do some, try something new as now. Exactly. <laughs> no, but Carrie, it was an amazing talk. I, I feel like I've learned so much uh, about your journey and about even like the specificities about this industry. So thank you so, so much for your time on, on behalf of the Inside Climate Action Club and on behalf of our listeners as well. It was amazing having you on board for this half an hour. And thank, right. you, thank you so much for your insight and your learnings. 
thank you, Alvar, for having us. And again, very happy to really talk about this. And a great job of putting it together. And feel free to get in touch. We will be reachable on the website and LinkedIn, etc. And definitely uh, stay in touch. Perfect.